But I want you just for a second to kind of visualize yourself as a kid. You've all been there at some point or another. Um, and just kind of think all across town right now, across not just uh, Rome and Lindale, but across the state of Georgia, the, the southeast for that matter, the Bible Belt, but all across the world, uh, there are kids that are pretending to be pandas, painting for gold, adventuring into space, but they're doing that in the comfort of their church. They're not actually going to the moon. They're not actually becoming a bear, and uh, painting for gold can be pretty messy, and we know that parents don't like messes. So we're going to do that in a fun, safe way, and that would be at Vacation Bible School. And so Vacation Bible School season is upon us. Um, Right now, um, actually starting today, just in Floyd County, there are two churches that I know of for a fact that are starting like tonight at like 6 o'clock. Tomorrow morning between 8 o'clock and noon, four more churches start. Like this isn't just something that's special to us. It isn't just something that's special to Floyd, that's special to our area of Georgia. This is all over the place. And we know that because uh, tomorrow, across the state of Georgia, um, I got a message from a friend of mine at the Georgia Baptist Convention that 1,700 churches are starting at 8 o'clock tomorrow morning with Vacation Bible School. So that's a pretty big deal. But for those of you that don't know, Vacation Bible School has been around for quite a long time. Uh, it's a time where churches throw open their doors. They let the kids come in. They, they offer what would basically be a week-long set of crafts, snacks, games, um, but we have dedicated volunteers who spend countless hours decorating rooms, preparing lessons, and we do all of this with the intention of sharing the gospel. Now, you might have a, a specific VBS memory. Um, a lot of people always go to the, the red fruit punch and the little butter ring cookies, and like I say that, and all of a sudden, you've you got to taste it, Right? Um, we're not doing communion today, so there's no punch and no cookies. I'm sorry. But then you go and you start thinking, we've got things like you learn to sing Jesus Loves Little Children or this little light of mine. If I say hide it under the bushel, you would say, no. there we go. Um, I mean, we have things like my B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. These are songs that we have growing up. Now, Vacation Bible School has changed a little bit. We've got a little bit more complex songs, a little bit more craftier crafts, but it hasn't really shifted much. Uh, So we're going to go back in time a little bit. We're not going to go all the way back to biblical times just yet. That'll be a little bit later. But um, it's 1898. We are in the heart of New York, and uh, there's a lady by the name of Eliza Halls. Very sweet lady. Worked at a local school, worked at our church. Uh, she decided, hey, I want to come together and put on a, an everyday Bible program for kids. Now, this wasn't unheard of. We knew of Sunday school, but school has now finished. She knows that kids can get into a lot of trouble as they head into the summer. So she reached out to her church and said, hey, can I do this there? And the church said, absolutely not. She called the local school, and the school said, we, we have to close the doors. We've got to do some cleaning. Like, it, it's not cost-effective for us. So she looked all around town, and uh, there, was, there was a business that, that let her in the front doors. So just imagine, you're sitting on uh, one of those very stiff metal stools with maybe a padded seat or a long wooden bench. It's dimly lit. There's a faint smell of cigarettes in the air. 
maybe a bowl of mixed nuts chilling on the table, a bunch of amber bottles with liquids in it that the adults say are for adults only. Um, the local beer hall and pub let her come in, and that's where the foundation of what we know as VBS started here in the U.S. Now, there are a few others where there were schools that did Bible school programs. Um, in 1877 in Montreal, they had a, a one-month series, but for what we know for VBS, it started here. This everyday Bible school, uh, as it took off in New York State, organized by Eliza Halls, uh, realized that this program was going to be beneficial. She had around 400 kids show up that summer across five weeks. Pretty impressive numbers. Her church thought the same. We're having VBS at our church next year. Well, numbers dropped. The difference was is when the kids could show up at the local beer hall, when they were in their community, they were closer to home. The parents knew where they were going. They could wear their play clothes. But in 1898, if you stepped foot in the church and you weren't in your Sunday best, they kicked you out. Not the, the representation we're looking for with Vacation Bible School. We're, we're wanting to open the doors to let them in, not open the doors just to kick them back out. And so she looked at them, she goes, I love that you finally said yes to the church, but we've got to go back to the beer hall. And several other businesses said, we want to be able to participate. As the years progressed from 1900 to 1917, uh, she was putting on more than just one week, but two weeks, but would do five weeks total at seven different locations, and just in the state of New York would reach over 25,000 kids every summer. It's remarkable what this one lady would do. Now, we look at this and we think, not a place where the gospel would probably be shared best, Definitely not a place I'd want my kids today. But it doesn't matter about the location, the theme. She didn't have fun music. It was literally her and God's work. So as she operates these seven everyday Bible schools, I'm just an absolute awestruck as this token of history, this little artifact we can pull as a gem, knowing that that's our foundation. But many people may wonder, what's the purpose of Vacation Bible School? And is it even still relevant? So the answer to that question is very simple. The purpose of EBS is to minister to children in the church, create outreach to surrounding communities, and to create evangelism opportunities. So it's talk to our kids, talk to them about Christ, and spread the word. It's really simple. It's important time for our children and for several reasons. Kids are then encouraged to attend church, they have fun, and they learn more about God in the Bible. They learn great stories that the Bible always teaches us to love and respect others, but it shows them that God loves them. Now, VBS has changed. Um, when service wraps up, we're, we're going to have a handful of folks, and we're literally going to kind of redecorate this. The stage is going to take us to a modern-day archaeology dig site. If you want, walk through our Ed building before you leave today, before all of our kids get the chance and get a little sneak peek as to what VBS has looked like. You know, now we, we put a little bit more money into it, but we have to. We're combating and fighting against the world. There's so many things. I got a phone call on Thursday that 
two of our kids can't make BBS because they're at a ball camp. I get it. We pay good money, we go to ball camp, we can't miss it. Or they miss it for a vacation and things like that. But then our kids want to be here. They look forward to this week of BBS. And so we have to do something to set ourselves apart. So if that means fun music, crafts, tasty snacks, that gets them in the door. But once they're in the door, we can then open their heart. So as VBS has changed and everything gets a little bit crazier, we have to remember that all of those change, the one thing didn't change. The same scripture that Eliza used in 1898 is the same truth, it's the same word. It's the same bit that we use, it's the same stories. VBS can change year by year, but the truth of VBS is important. So last year we experienced, in our own ways, uh, physical separation from the church. There was a period of time where we closed the doors. We couldn't put a single person in this right now. Like, I look out and see that, like, our pews are filled. We've got folks that are watching us online. We are now back together. Is that wonderful? Can I get an amen? I actually wrote that right here where I said, can I get an amen? And then I wrote, it worked. So, but as we come back together in a building as a family of believers, uh, COVID-19 kept our doors closed, our numbers down, our events and our opportunities like BBS were canceled. So, kind of like Ross from Friends said, we had to pivot. So, we went VBS online. We got together goodie bags to send home. We filmed videos, we edited pieces, we reached out on social media. We had parents that literally could come by, grab a bag, and do VBS at their house. Man, was that great. We weren't the only ones. It was enough that just across the United States alone, through virtual VBS, about 86,000 kids and uh, parents came to Nivlore. Through a time that all odds were stacked against us, the Lord was still working. He was still in charge. He was still the Savior. He's still our ruler. He didn't let something stop his word from being presented to our kids. To what would it be our largest unreached community? Those that they don't know the Lord because they've denied him and pushed him aside, but because they haven't first been told. As we move into 2021, things are opening back up. I am so excited that we are able to have our, our Vacation Bible School in person. Right now, we have about 70 kids already pre-signed up, bound to have, I would estimate, about 20 to 30, if not more, signing up tomorrow morning. We have over 30 volunteers, and we'd love more to come out and to just hang out with our kids. It's not a matter of you decorating, prepping a lesson. You know the gospel. You know God's love. And so that's your chance to share. So we're going to fast forward a little bit. We're now back to, to 2021. Welcome back. Y'all made it safely. Uh, but before we do that, we're heading to an archaeological dig. We're, we're taking off to, to Israel. In-flight snacks will be provided. Do not worry. And when we get there, it's a modern-day dig site. Um, Israel has changed quite a bit since the time that Christ was alive walking, preaching, healing, serving. But we get that opportunity to investigate and to dig. And so that's what Destination Dig is all about. It's an archaeology site 
where we unearth more than dirt, we dig up exciting evidence, and we prove that biblical events were not just stories, but history. Our kids will be junior archaeologists, and they will explore real-life archaeology finds that will help them uncover the truth about Jesus. So we take a look at our verse, Jeremiah 29, 13. You can go ahead and throw that one up there. And we'll see that God reveals himself to us when we seek and search him with all of our hearts. So at this point, you are now at BBS. Congratulations, you're here. Uh, you're somewhere between the ages of three and fifth grade, so welcome. Uh, you're looking really good for your age. All right, so at VBS, what I would do is I would read off a line and then you would read it back because this is just day one, you're learning the verse. So guys, our key verse for the week is Jeremiah 29, 13. So I'll say a line, you say a line, all right? You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. No, that's just a few simple lines. We say it on day one, we say it on day two. As we get to the end of the week, we say it, but we've not just said it, we've learned it. So then we know it. It was in our theme song that was on the bumper video. It's in the background. They're going to hear it when they sing songs. So then when they leave from here and the kids are in the song and they're singing that same obnoxious song over and over again, you realize it's no longer obnoxious because it's the scripture that's involved. So as we're, we're going through this week, we know that we have these kids for five days. We get them, these families, we get these individuals where they are actively seeking new artifacts to show us evidence and biblical truths. So VBS only lasts five days. Why is it so important? So just to kind of give you some numbers, we meet from eight or from nine in the morning to noon. That's three hours. We get 15 hours of time. That's 15 hours of devoted gospel presentation. In that time period, it equates to about seven months of ministry in one week. There is nothing else that you can really do in one week's time and get seven months of effort out of it. I've gone to the gym for one week, and I promise I did not see seven months worth of gain after that one week. And for that matter, after even 15 hours of doing something, that's what makes BBS so important. So the one thing that we have is that we, we know that the key verse is in the Bible, but we want to be able to, to really hone in on a specific part. So we have our motto, and our motto for VBS is seek truth, find Jesus. So we're going to try something. I'll say seek truth, you say find Jesus. Seek truth. Jesus. Seek truth. Jesus. So as we walk through VBS and we're going day by day by day, I come up to get, I say, hey, seek truth. They're going to instantly say find Jesus. It's a constant reminder to them as to what it looks like. So hopefully you have uh, gotten off the plane. We're at our archaeological dig site. We're about to go through the next five days of VBS. I hope you uh, have uh, brought your comfortable seat and attire. We're going to go through it. I promise we won't take us five days' worth to get there. So we start off on day one. This is a story that we have told many, many times before. Jesus came as God promised. We know that through Scripture, through uh, both in the New Testament and the Old Testament, everything ties together, that there's not something that happened in the New Testament that wasn't first prophesied in the Old Testament. We know that the birth of Christ was also mentioned in the book of Isaiah. We know that it's mentioned in other spots, and that through this, through this story, um, specifically in Isaiah 9, that it's fulfilled, that this birth of a small baby, a baby that would save us, rescue us, and would change the world through a sacrifice that we ourselves could never replicate, that this prophecy was found 
written on scrolls and that we found these types of scrolls in what would be a Quamran jar. There's the Quamran Valley and there's the river here and so this is a, a really ancient piece of pottery that we find tucked away deep in caves. And we can't exactly just get there by walking. We have to actually search. We have to seek. So actively searching and seeking and finding something and in turn we're finding that, that scroll that in turn points us back to Christ and see how it ties back into our verse, into our motto that when we're seeking something, we're finding Jesus. But it doesn't stop right there. We know that these scrolls and these prophecies that are written, they go through and it takes us on to day two where Jesus demonstrated God's power. Jesus had the power that God promised, but we see that through a story on day two um, where there is this blind man. And they're coming up and they're saying, who sinned? Was it his parents? Was it him? Why is he blind? And Jesus says, no, he's, he's, not, he's not blind because of sin. He's blind so that way you can see God's power. And so literally at that point, just does the unbelievable here, spits in the dirt, takes some mud, puts it on his eyes and says, hey, go wash your face. Um, upon walking down to the pool of Siloam, he washes his face and can want to see. People in the community are completely surprised. Like, aren't you the same guy that was blind and begging beforehand? And they're like, no, 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 that's not him. That's someone else. It looks a lot like him, but no. They, even though he physically hasn't changed his outward appearance, he can then see, but people see him in a different light because that's what it is, is that when we have Christ in our lives, that we have made that change. That we have been able to separate ourselves, that putting sin away because Christ died on the cross for that sin and putting our lives solely focused on him. But we know that this is to be true because in about 2004, through an archaeological dig site, an artifact that we pulled was the, the Pool of Siloam Steps. Now, this right here gives me the, that, the goosebumps because I know that desert winds blow. We know that buildings can topple. But these would have been the stairs that would have led down to the Pool of Siloam. Now, Jesus wasn't in Israel for just a day or a couple hours. He was there. So there's literally an absolute chance that the same stairs that they have found here are the exact same steps that Christ have walked up and down. There's always the, the mantra of putting yourself in someone else's shoes. I don't care about that. I want to walk on the same ground that Christ walked be able to to follow that same path because of what he did, the remarkable bit of power that he demonstrated. But he even knew. He knew what was coming. And that takes us to day three, where Jesus was betrayed and rejected. This perfect man who knew why he was here and what he was doing while he was here, and that was to serve. He broke bread with his disciples, he prayed, and then was arrested. We know there's this guy by the name of Caiaphas who was like the head priest and he was the one that was responsible for putting together the plot that would inevitably kill Jesus. But it wasn't just the fact that he was arrested, that Christ was escorted, that Christ had to walk up said steps to go to Caiaphas' house to where trial would take place. And as we, we follow the, the words written in the scrolls and the text that we know through our historical searching and our digging and of these artifacts that we can find things that we can actually locate places like Caiaphas' steps. And again, another place that Christ himself had walked. So as we, we get to this point, the, the arrest, beaten, the murder, the crucifixion, and the burial of Jesus. And this is where we hit to day four. This is the point where we, we've hit our pinnacle of the week, we told the kids, and all of a sudden, the main character of our story is dead. And where else do we go? We still have two more days of EBS. 
but this is where the story gets even better because we know that the tomb was rolled away. The stone was gone from the front of this. The tomb was empty. There was no one inside that Christ had then risen from the grave. He had conquered death. But we see that because we literally can find tombs exactly like it with hand-carved stones, all right? It wasn't just a big boulder that they happened to push. Like, this is somebody who actually cared enough to pay someone to come and chisel out the stone to make it easy to roll in and out in front of, but not easily, but, like, to put it there. We see these types of tombs all over Israel. So when we read it in our story, when we read it in the scripture, when we read it in our Bible, this isn't just some imaginary fictional tale that we have made up. So Christ is dead. He is risen again. He has ascended into heaven. And these stories are going all over the place. You've got guys that are walking miles down the road, and Jesus is encountering them. You have the story that's literally taking off to far ends of the earth. And so we get to day five. Day five is our, our challenge day for our kids. Because after this day, they're going to go forth, and they're going to have ball camp, and they're going to have computer camp, and they're going on vacations and stuff. And we're so blessed that we get the whole first week of the summer to be able to love and invest in these kids and hoping that that not only transfers past that Friday, but into the Saturday, Sunday, and every day onward. We get to day five where we know that the Bible is true. So we have this guy named Philip, and uh, Philip, through his time of prayer, he said, hey, I need you to go out and seek this man, and then, you know, just chilling through the desert, you know, driving his uh, really awesome chariot, is this uh, Ethiopian fella, and uh, he's got some scrolls with him. And uh, one of my, my favorite lines, because this is a full-grown adult, and he's holding these scrolls. And I picture him more or less like a four-year-old holding a Bible for the first time going, I don't know where Genesis is at. And he goes, how can I, he said, unless someone explains to me. He can't read these scrolls. He doesn't know what it is. Philip was then sent to go and read to him what was on there, to share with him the beauty of what is God's word. So each and every day we have the, not only the, the jar, but we have the steps the, to Caiaphas' house. We have the pool of Siloam. We, we have the tombs. We have these scrolls. All of these are an artifact. So if we look up the, the dictionary definition of an artifact, it's an object made by a human being, typically an item of culture or historical interest. So this not only gives us an idea of what culture looks like, but it gives us an idea of how historically dated this is. All of this is easily trackable, and there's more things that are outside just the confines of, of Christianity and the Bible that point us to this. But we also look that something that's observed in a scientific investigation or an experiment that is not naturally present, but occurs as a result of preparative procedure. That's a bunch of fancy words, meaning that it's something that we have made as man, as tiny as that is, knowing that the Lord, that God has created everything, that we have created something and we are holding that tiny little creation that we have made as tiny little pieces in God's huge world. And just that tiny little part points us back to the person who loves us and died for us. But there's a problem with artifacts. Sometimes they go missing. Sometimes they're found. When they're found, it's a really good feeling. 
because we get to learn from them. But believe it or not, once we discover an artifact and we find an artifact, um, unless we're Indiana Jones stealing it from someone else, we can't really rediscover it. It's already been found. And we, as broken people, will take that artifact, we'll learn from it, and then it becomes history instead of something to live by. It's very easy for us to say, oh, we found this scroll, we're going to put it on display and let it go become a historical art piece instead of word to live by. The fact that it was 2004 that we found the, the steps, the pathway that led to the Pool of Siloa means that we're still finding new things, but we're going to get to a point where there's not going to be new things for us to find or that we have broken and changed so many things. And so that's where you get to come in. You get to be Philip. You get to be more than just an artifact. It's your opportunity, knowing that how powerful artifacts are in their smallest little state, that we get to be like Eliza. We get to be like those that you remember teaching you VBS, those that gave you the fruit punch, that gave you the butter and cookies, those that invested in your lives. You get to be more than an artifact. You get to be a teacher. You get to be an investor. You get to be a disciple. Nothing in the word vacation Bible school says kid. You can take this exact same stories back to your work. All right. The, with all these uh, graphics that we have that we're putting up, the, the, the different artifacts, those didn't come from the kids' curriculum. That came from the, uh, the grumpy adult curriculum that Lifeway has put out for VBS. Um, it was about 85 pages of size 6 font. I don't know very many adults that want to read size 6 font, but it's there. And as I sifted through it, there's so much to gain and learn. But we have one week. We know that VBS is the one week that mobilizes the entire church to reach a community with the gospel while simultaneously providing a unique discipleship experience for the individual child and volunteer. We send our kids home with a, a picture frame with a picture in it, or maybe they do a handprint something and it goes up on the fridge and we look at it. But when our parents then look at that, I don't want them just to see a handprint and think, oh, my kid was so cute at six years old. I want them to look at that and know that when they seek truth, they find Jesus. VBS is our opportunity to change an individual for an eternity. VBS doesn't happen just inside the church. It can happen at your local beer hall. It can happen at your work. It can happen at the grocery store. Yes, we're privileged and we're blessed with the fact that we have buildings on end that we can bring our kids together and safely. But VBS is just a fancy term to just go tell others. How can they know unless we first tell them? Be a Philip, be an Eliza, be a teacher, an investor, a disciple.